unless 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 you want to go. Okay. All right. We'll we'll let them. <laughs> okay. All right. There we go. That that is that's perfect. That's perfect. All right. You remember? Um, I, I, do you remember the uh, the what is it? Oh, it's not something I recommend. Um, it's a uh, <clears throat> it's a magazine um, titled Mad, and the magazine again. I'm not recommending this magazine, so please don't. Please don't, you know, run out and get a subscription. Say, well, the pastor, um, the pastor was talking about Mad Magazine, but but there's a there's a character that's all that always appears on the cover of Mad Magazine, and um, I hear that the, the, his name is Alfred E. Newman, and and apparently the thing that he says um, it, that he's known for is saying, "What me worry?" Something like that. I, and that, that's, that goes back way, 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 way back. But what, me, worry? Um, what is there to worry about? Well, you know, what is there to be anxious about, right? Um, we've got a lot of things going on in our lives. You know, sickness, friends that we love um, that are, are, are going through difficult circumstances or family, member on the other, family members on the other side of the world going through hardships and trials and there is much for us to be anxious about. I want to look at this passage of Scripture today in Philippians and see and explore this idea of joy always. How is it that we, as human beings, can go through trial and tribulation, can go through through hurt and pain and suffering, go through all kinds of difficult circumstances, yet have joy. How is it that we can rejoice always? This is the subject that Paul gets to in this part of chapter 4 of the letter to the Philippians. So, turn with me in your devices or your Bibles. or Bibles nearby. We're going to look at this passage. We'll read it. We'll read it, um, and then we'll look at each of these these sections of this uh, passage together. And I want us to explore how it is that we can have joy always. You've been sitting for a while, so would you stand with me just for a few verses? Stand with me as we we hear Philippians chapter four, verses four to seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. I wanted to I want to explore this theme today. 
the presence and promise of the Lord equips us for joy always. The presence and promise of the Lord. Look at, look at this. Um, let's, let's look at that first idea. The, the, the presence of the Lord equips us for joy always. Well, let me do it this way. Let me give you six points. Now, two points and three subpoints. The presence of the Lord equips us for joy always. So, Paul here presents to us a proposal. The proposal is joy always. The proposal is joy always. He comes to us and he, he proposes that we rejoice always. Now, it's more than a proposal, really. He, he, he commands us to rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. You remember when he said that? He said that a, a, a few messages ago. Earlier in his letter, he said, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He's coming back to this, this motif that is going throughout his whole letter, the gospel of joy. He's reminding them to rejoice. And just in case they get thrown off by the word always, because he said rejoice in the Lord before, but here he says rejoice in the Lord always. And maybe in your mind you're thinking, um, how do I rejoice when my babies are sick? How do I rejoice when I'm, I don't have a job? How do I rejoice when I'm failing a class in school? How do I rejoice when there's tragedy going all around us? When friends are sick or ill or dying? How do we rejoice? Is that what he means? Are we supposed to rejoice in those things? Are we supposed to be happy about them? He makes this very emphatic by saying again, I will say rejoice. I'm not just happy now. Paul was not just having a good day when he wrote this letter. Like this is one of my, you, you guys know what good days and bad days are like. This is not just Paul saying, here's, I'm having a good day, rejoice in the Lord. He says, again, I will say rejoice. Tomorrow I will say rejoice. The day after that I will say rejoice. I will continue to call you to rejoice. Why? Because of the Lord. Because, as he's been telling us this whole passage, or this whole letter, we are in the Lord. The gospel is great. We have something. We have something in us that is greater than what is in the world. We can rejoice always because we rejoice in the Lord. More about that in a moment. But let's explore what it, what it might mean to, re, to rejoice. Does it mean to be happy all the time? Does it mean you're not allowed to cry? Does it mean that you need to come to our worship gatherings and be like, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Life is good. Praise the Lord. Have you ever done that? I've done that probably a few times when uh, 
when there's, you know, my kids were doing the OK Corral <laughs> before church. And, and I come in like, well, actually, if you really want to know how I'm doing, I'll tell you, right? But we kind of put on a happy face. We, we sing songs like, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And it becomes a trite little thing, right? That's not what he's talking about. But he is telling us we need to do it. He is saying we should rejoice. That we ought to have joy. In fact, the, a joyless Christian is really an oxymoron. Isn't it? They don't go together. They're not supposed to go together. And, and we, have some of our, um, we have some of our psalms to help us with that. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence. The presence of the Lord, maybe? In your presence, there is joy. Always. Joy forever. That's pretty cool. And, and, it's not just that it's there in God's presence, but it is also a command. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight. To delight in something is to have joy in it, to rejoice in it. So we're told all over, those are just a couple of examples, uh, this, is, this, is what, this is what God wants for you. This is what God has for you. This is the proposal that we have joy always. You might wonder, again, how can we have that? How, have that? how can we experience that? Think, think at a couple of examples uh, with me. Um, maybe jot this down. You can look at it later. Acts chapter 5. It's an interesting story. Acts chapter 5 begins like with one of the craziest stories in the New Testament. Um, somebody being struck down dead because they lied to the apostles and to the church and to the Holy Spirit. And then stuff is going and and the apostles are doing their thing and they're, they're preaching the word and, and people are saying, no, don't preach about Jesus. Don't do that. And they say, we can't help but talk about these things. So they arrest them. They throw them in jail. And instead of putting them to death, they, death, they say, well, let's just, uh, let's just beat them mercilessly as a warning. And surely they won't preach the name of Jesus anymore. Surely they won't talk about Jesus with their neighbors, in their workplace, in their families, etc. And they do. They beat them mercilessly. They let them go. And what do the apostles do? God, they, they got together. They had a, a covenant members meeting. And they said, we need to change our strategy. We need a new vision for... No, they didn't say that. Okay, no. They didn't say that. That's not what happened. They got back together and they rejoiced that God considered them worthy to receive that kind of abuse for the name of Jesus. They rejoiced. Why? Not because they are, they are sadists. Not because they love suffering. They like to get beat up. They rejoiced because they knew they belonged to the risen Savior, the Lord, who was present with them. And then there's, then there's um, one of my favorite 
um, passages, especially as a musician, um, growing up, learning music, learning to sing, and, and then having this wonderful example of Paul and Silas going to, where did they go? Where were they? Where were they ministering? In, in Philippi. In Philippi. And I bet you, as, as Paul is writing this letter, and you know they, they read it, and they sat down at one time, they, they would have read this all at one time, and they would have heard this theme of joy weaving in and out. They, they heard Paul say, Hey, I... I am rejoicing. Uh, whether these people are preaching the gospel from good or bad motives, Christ is proclaimed. I'm in jail. I know that, but I'm rejoicing. Yes, I will rejoice. And then he says, hey, even if I get poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, in other words, even if I die in jail, am executed, my blood is poured out on the ground. It becomes like an offering to God because of my work, because of our partnership for the sake of Christ. He says, I am glad. I have joy. And I rejoice with you. And he urges them to rejoice. And they're probably thinking, that sounds a lot like when we first met Paul and his friend Silas. Remember when they came to town? Remember when they were doing these crazy things? Remember when they led Lydia and Euodia and Syntyche to, to, to faith in Christ down by the riverside? And remember when they cast out the demon out of that slave girl? And then remember when the whole town got in an uproar and they arrested him and they threw him into jail? And remember what was happening in that jail at midnight? Paul and Silas chained up between guards in the middle of that dank jail cell, singing hymns, praising God in the midst of their suffering. What kind of effect do you think that had on these people, the Philippians? What kind of an effect should it have on us when we see that nothing that happens to us can take away our joy? Delight yourself in the Lord, says. He will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you himself and his presence. He begins this passage with rejoice. Have joy always. This proposal, joy always. Then he continues in verse 5 with the posture. The posture, gentleness. The posture, gentleness. Our, our translation I read to you earlier says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Which, um, actually I find that it's, it's, a, it's really, um, it, it really helps to kind of clarify what gentleness is all about. But I, I put this gentleness in here, uh, the NIV uses gentleness. It translates this as let your gentleness be known. And it's the same word that, that is found in 1 Timothy 3.3 3 and Titus 3.2 when Paul is instructing uh, both of those men about what uh, elders should be like. They should be men who are gentle. The, the exact same word is used there. They should be gentle. 
And and then James um, uses the word in his passage, and, and or in chapter three, verse seventeen, and and in First Peter, uh, Peter himself um, is talking about uh, how we ought to how we ought to live our lives as, as uh, citizens of the kingdom of heaven and how people ought to know us as people who are gentle. This gentleness or reasonableness is how we respond to adversity. How we respond to people abusing us. How we respond when people say bad things against us. Example, the apostles (laughs) and how they responded. They didn't fight back. They didn't didn't respond with with, uh, fretting and and, um, legal action and and the rest. They responded with a gentle spirit. It was like they were putting, it was like they were putting um, uh, Jesus' words into action. When he says, and when somebody strikes you on the, the cheek, turn the other to him. It was a, it's, it's, an ethics, it's an ethic of non-retaliation. Not fighting back um, evil with evil. Not responding in kind. It, it, it's, it's about having... It, let me add another word to this word for gentleness. And maybe this will help us kind of Think about it. Humility. It's not thinking higher of ourselves than we ought to think. It's thinking, you know what? I probably deserved it. (laughs) I probably deserve it. In fact, I deserve way worse than that. Yet, the Lord has saved me, bought me with His blood. It's a posture that we have as believers that, that when things go wrong around us, we don't freak out. We don't melt down. It's the example that Christ gave for us. Because again, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this about Jesus. Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. His attitude, his, his focus was his posture, Christ's posture was a gentle and lowly spirit. Hmm. How might we apply that? What's going on in your life? What situations are you facing in which you need to maybe check yourself and check your responses? Check to see if you're giving a gentle or a reasonable response. Not justice, not justice, but maybe righteousness. Christ-likeness, a spirit of humility, the proposal, the posture, the presence. The presence is the Lord. Because the very next phrase is, the Lord 
is at hand. We already saw Paul say to rejoice in the Lord. We already see, we've already seen how having the presence of the Lord leads to joy, how the presence of the Lord, in fact, helps us have a posture of gentleness. So let's think about more closely what this presence is all about. It's Jesus with us now. How is he with us now? By his Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in writing about this verse, verse 4, he says this, and I think he's got a lot, there's a lot to it. He says, this, this passage is rooted in a theology of the Holy Spirit. Like, really? Where's the Holy Spirit in there? And he, and, he, and he addressed that. Okay, I know the Holy Spirit's not mentioned here, but the Spirit is present throughout Paul's letter. And the idea of joy, the idea of gentleness, a little later when we look at, we talk about peace, and then going back, we, we, we looked at, the, at Christian unity in verses 1 to 3, and we saw that Christian unity really, it's, there's got to be love there. What, what does that sound like? Love, joy, peace, you know, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. We'll get there, yes. Paul is, in shorthand, writing about these things that are there for us by the power or the empowering or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. How do you know somebody belongs to Christ? You see evidence of it. How do you know that somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit? You see evidence of it. You see a life of joy. You see a life of gentleness. When he says the Lord is at hand, part of what he's saying and part of what he means is right now you have the Lord. You are in the Lord. That is who you are. You belong to Him. You have Christ in you by the Holy Spirit. He's also thinking, it's also, it's, it's also a, a reminder or a, a connection to our future. The Lord is at hand, or or some translations, the Lord is near. Kind of reminds me of what Jesus said when he came, he announced, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near. He meant that the king was there with them. But he also was saying something about their future. Something that they they could put their faith in. They could put their trust in. He's also talking about A promise. The promise of the Lord equips us for joy always. The promise of the Lord equips us for joy always. Well, okay, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is with us, but there's a problem. The problem is anxiety. Well, maybe not just anxiety, but the things that we're anxious about. Right? The things that cause anxiety. The things that cause us to worry. So he says, do not be anxious about anything. Now the way he's saying that is basically, hey, I know you're anxious about these things, so stop being anxious about them. Stop worrying about them. And don't let that come back. 
You guys have to check that. You guys have to check that anxiety. Oh boy. That's a big problem. That's a big problem. But Paul's going to help us out with a plan. Before he does it, I think it's worth reminding us of another thing that Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. Check out Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33, somewhere around there. Check me on that. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, And do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about what you're going to wear. Don't be anxious about the food that you're going to eat or where that's going to come from. Look around you. I'm taking care of the birds. I'm taking care of the flowers of the field. I take care of all of my creation. How much more, Jesus says, is is your heavenly Father care for you and take care of you? And he says, don't worry. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough to worry about in itself, right? So, what are we anxious about? What are we anxious about? There's, there's stuff going on in our lives. Does, do, do our minds start to race? Do we start to, to, try to go through that, that, that dilemma and go, well, how's this going to work out? What's going to happen? Well, what, happen- what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? We go on down the list. And we start playing that anxiety game. My wife says something um, in our house a lot to our girls. Um, anxiety never tells the truth to you, right? There's no... Anxiety isn't telling you what's true. Anxiety is not giving you helpful advice when you're listening to that. We cycle up. We get freaked out about all these things. Oh, there's plenty to be concerned about in our lives. There were plenty of things for the Philippians to be concerned about. They're getting a letter from a man they love. Who, the, the, the man who, who founded their church, who led them to faith in Christ. He's in jail. They don't know what's going to happen to him. What if, if this could happen to somebody like Paul, what about the rest of us? I mean, he's a great, he's a super Christian. Maybe that's what they were thinking, right? I mean, he's a great man of God. All these bad things are happening to, to him. Well, what hope do we have? I don't pray like Paul. I don't understand scripture like Paul. How am I going to stand if something bad happens to me? Then they had their friend Epaphroditus, who nearly died to serve the Philippians and to serve Paul. And they're wondering, did our friend die? What's become of him? He got sick. We heard about that. Now we don't now we're wondering what in the world's happened to him. They're they're worried about are we are we on the straight and narrow? Are we believing what we ought to believe? Are the things that we're doing true? What about these people that we've heard of from, from other places, other churches, or, or, or false teachers coming in and out? What about them? What if they come here? Or maybe we could just think about the things in our own lives. Grades, college, 
careers, relationships. How's that relationship going to turn out? Or, you know, how is... (laughs) How are we going to make it through to the end of the month? How, how are we going to make it in 2018? <laughs> Start to think about things like that. And before you know it, you've created a cycle of anxious thoughts that are just lying to you. Paul Paul encouraged um, the uh, Philippians with this word, not to be anxious. But of all people, he had a reason to be anxious. Remember, um, remember what he said to the Corinthians who lived a little bit south of these believers in Philippi. He said to them, I have experienced far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. But Paul could say this. Write this down. First Corinth, or Second Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 4, verses 7 and on. But we have this treasure, Christ, the gospel, salvation. We have it in jars of clay. He's talking about us. We are jars of clay. Clay pots. Brittle. Easily broken. Just knock it off the shelf. It's gone. That's not, that's not going back together. But he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. What does he mean? He means that what is in us, the power that is in us, the presence of the Lord in us, is greater than the circumstances surrounding us. We can't be destroyed. We will stand in the end as clay pots. Maybe we'll be nicked chipped a bit, pretty humbled, but rejoicing in the Lord because He is able to make us stand. And this is how Paul suggests we do it. This is Paul's plan. The plan is prayer. But in everything, he says, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known 
to God. He uses four different terms here. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and requests. And they all have, they all have a little different nuance, if you think about it. But the, the effect that we get there is that Paul's saying, in everything, in, in fact, in all kinds of prayers, in all kinds of different ways, let your requests be made known to God. And if I could paraphrase for us today, turn your anxieties into prayer. There's so many times I spiral in my anxiety until I kick myself and I realize I haven't once brought that before the Lord in prayer. Not once. And we remind our girls of that all the time. And it seems like I, I usually remind other people of it. I need others to remind me of it too. Are you praying about that, Pastor? <laughs> Are you praying about that, Michael? Turn your anxieties into prayers. All kinds of prayers. Supplications. Those are, Psalm, go back to Psalm 116 that we read at the beginning of our worship gathering. Crying out to God. The Psalms are full of people crying out to God. That's what a supplication is. It's pleading before God. Saying, God, do something about this specific situation. I, I don't know if we ought to pray, God, take away my anxiety. Careful, careful. I know I'm walking, on, I'm walking a tightrope here. But maybe the, anxi- the things that we're anxious about are God's way of saying, doggone it, pray about this stuff. Why aren't you praying about it? They're reminders that there are things going on in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones that we need to be praying about. And we don't pray as we should. Guaranteed. Not one person here can raise their hand and say, yeah, I I pray enough. Don't lie to yourself. (laughs) I can't do that. I can't lie to myself. I can't lie to you. Turn your anxieties into prayer. That's the plan that, that he gives us. Supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. How do we do thanksgiving in the midst of all those things? How do we do thanksgiving when life is hitting us? Well, I know you've heard, you've heard it said, there's always something to be grateful for, right? <laughs> but there's truth to that. In the army, the army in all of its wisdom is trying to fix people's problems with programs. But there's one thing that they, there's a little tool that, that they, are, they use that I think is actually really good. It's called hunt the good stuff. So just bear with me. Hunt the good stuff. Look through your life. Spend, do that every day. Identify three things. What, what good things are happening today? What good things happened to me today? Or maybe yesterday, if you're waking up in the middle, or you're waking up early in the morning, and your heart's already racing. And you're going, how am I going to get through this day? How, what has God been doing? That's why we share testimonies every Sunday. Because we need to be reminded that God is at work. So whether you want to do hunt the good stuff, or whether you want to do what Baptist churches for generations did, and that was count your blessings, name them one by one, 
Right? You know that song? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. It's a really easy tune, easy words. But we sometimes forget to do that. So, in the midst of your anxiety, take a little time to, to lift those things up to God, but add thanksgiving. Because that's what he says, with thanksgiving. He's saying, add this to the request that you're... Add thanksgiving to your burdens that you're, that you're sharing to God. And remind yourself and your soul, and let the Holy Spirit do that in you, of what God has done. Well, the final thing is the last verse, and it's, it's beautiful. And it sometimes feels a little elusive. But it's the promise itself, the promise. The promise is the peace of God. Because he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, now I have to be careful. David reminded me of the, this week of getting too geeky on the grammar and the things like that. But it's really interesting to look at this verse and to see these, the statements that have been coming at us. They've been coming at us like kind of bullets. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known ever. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. But here is that, that word, the simple word that we have in our languages, and. And he's, what it is is result. He's talking about if you will put your, or turn your anxieties into prayer, guess what you're going to experience? The peace of God. That's the result. That's the promise. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is all over God's Word. In the Old Testament, it was shalom. In the New Testament, it's that geeky Greek word that turns into the, the English proper name, Irene. <laughs> you know an Irene? If you know an Irene, hopefully she's peaceful. If, you, if she's not, correct her on that. Say, hey, you know what your name means? Peace. Okay? Get with it. Maybe she, maybe she needs to turn her anxieties into prayer. Um, but it's all over God's word. But I can't help but thinking that if I was a Philippian, and I, I just some, you know, young knucklehead in, the, in that little church plant, and I heard him talking about, I heard Paul telling us about the peace of God, I think I couldn't help but think about the Roman peace that was promised to, the, to all of the citizens of the empire. The, the, the peace that, this, is, this was the, in Latin, the Pax Romana. Right? This was the Roman peace that was going to bring maybe a thousand years of, of peace into the world. It was going to conquer um, barbarians, it was going to bring culture, it was going to protect its citizens, and they're thinking, and, uh, and, and they're probably, there were probably posters up, you know, down at the, the Philippian laundromat, 
you know, that said something like, Pax Romana, provided to you by the guards, I'm using the words here, the guards of the, of the Roman Empire. Roman soldiers who were garrisoned in that word guard, will guard your hearts. It's a word for a garrison of soldiers. The soldiers who are protecting that city and ensuring its peace. So on one hand, we have a right built into this letter in the historical context of Paul writing to the Philippians. We have this wonderful illustration of how a city is secured. How it's guarded. How the peace is sure. But, remember that Paul, throughout his letter, is saying, so you think Rome is great? So you think your citizenship is all that? It ain't nothing compared to the king that we worship. It ain't nothing compared to the kingdom we belong to. Your citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord, not Caesar, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the peace of God, which surpasses above, just like knowing Christ sir, is of surpassing worth compared to all those other things. The peace of God surpasses all understanding. You think Rome is great? Well, guess what? In a few hundred years, Rome is going to fall. It's not going to last. But guess what? Christ is risen. He is alive. He is guarding our hearts and our minds. He is the peace that we count on. He is the one who guards us. His kingdom will outlast them all. His kingdom will outlast, it outlast Rome. It outlasted Christendom in terms, of, in terms of the church in Europe. It outlasted, well, it will outlast our nation. If God tarries, or Christ tarries long enough, waits long enough, for a few more generations to go by, or less, or more. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I can't tell the, tell the future except for this. The promise is the, the lasting peace that will come with Christ. That's who we have. And we have that because Christ won it for us. Not by defeating armies on the battlefield. Not by... Not by advancing his army across the known world, not by garrisoning his soldiers armed to the teeth with swords and spears and shields. He won it for us by his death on the cross. He won it for us and he garrisons our heart and our minds. He gives us a kingdom even a city, a lasting city, one that will surpass them all. Remember Isaiah 26? I don't know if you caught this, but Isaiah promised, they sang of a, of a city, 
a city that was not the same as the lofty city. Not the same as the earthly city. It's a city that, because of Christ, it's a city in which the dwelling place of God is with man. Revelation 21. Where he will dwell with them, they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And there is no temple in that city. For its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And in that city, the city of peace, there is no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But here's the thing. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Remember what Paul said to us last week? Remember how he talked to his people whom he loved and longed for, his joy and crown? He called them his fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the promise. We are rooted in that. We have that sure. Now, through the Holy Spirit, and nothing that we go through will separate us from that future. We who are in Christ. So the question, though, for us is, have you placed your trust fully in Christ? It doesn't matter if you have if you have prayed a prayer of repentance and faith at one time, it doesn't matter if you're in Christ now, every day, daily, we place our trust in Him. See, death has, has one chance over us. You know? Death has one card to play. Life, on the other hand, is day to day, day after day after day. It's one thing to be willing to die for Christ, but to live for Him and to trust Him daily. He, is, he offers us joy always. Rejoice. Live a gentle, live a gracious life. Humbly responding to life's turns and, and anxiety. Turn your anxieties into prayer. And if you've never trusted Christ for your salvation, if you've never put your faith in Him, if you're wondering, what about this joy? That How come I don't have this joy? Or how come my heart doesn't have that peace? How come I don't have that kind of assurance? Place your trust fully in Christ today. You can do that today. Don't wait and live the life of joy and the peace that He has called and equipped you for the presence and promise of the Lord that equips us for joy always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for...
teaching us. Thank you for inspiring these words of Scripture. I pray, Father, that you will give us your grace, your power to walk them out today, tomorrow. I pray, Father, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard each of our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. For your glory, we pray, and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me. We're going to um, sing a song.